Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... saying you must add the law of Moses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus plus the law, in particular, Jesus plus circumcision. One way, again, was to require people to be circumcised. Others would say that you have to celebrate certain days, certain feasts. And I would say it's all okay, but it's not the gospel. You can do a lot of different things but they're not the gospel. Let's admit it, sometimes the Bible can seem confusing. There are many reasons for that, but a major one is forgetting to ask the question, why is the Bible writer writing this to the people of his time? By asking that question, we can often make sense of what the Bible writer is saying, and then make the application to our own lives. In the book of Galatians, some false teachers were being dismissive of the Apostle Paul's teachings while he was away. So let's jump into Galatians chapter 4 and examine this issue so we can learn and apply it to our lives. Here's Pastor Jim. Galatians chapter 4. We finished up to verse 20, so we'll pick up at verse 21, and we will just finish the chapter tonight. As we've been saying, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. Most people will believe he's writing to southern Turkey, written to counter the false teachers that came into the churches while the Apostle Paul was out preaching the cross and resurrection to other people, starting more new churches and visiting the churches that he had planted already. If you want to simplify the book of Galatians, just very, very simply, you could say it this way. Chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul is defending his gospel. He's saying, this is my gospel, this is why it is true, and he talked about going to visit the apostles in Jerusalem, and he's also defending the fact that he was a true apostle. Chapters three and four, he has been explaining the gospel, which is simply, he's been talking about justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Jesus Christ alone, not by any good works that we do. Chapter five and six, He will apply everything that we have learned to our lives with some interesting insights into the person and power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit influences the way we live the Christian life. So as we end this section here in chapter four on explaining the gospel, we come to what many people consider to be the most difficult section of the entire book of Galatians, something to look forward to. And some people say it's one of the more difficult sections of the New Testament. I don't know that I would take it that far, but it is not easy, that's for sure. Most consider this section to be an allegory in where we have a story where various parts have hidden meanings And yet this is not a made-up allegory. Probably the most famous one is Pilgrim's Progress. But this one is based upon a true story. So he takes a true story and he gives us some meaning to it. Once again, the Apostle Paul uses the historical life of Abraham 
to illustrate freedom in Christ versus slavery from following the Old Testament law, and even to some of the people in Galatian church of being enslaved by paganism. Now, many people, when they study this section, Bible scholars, people who you know, study very carefully, think this is an odd way to end the explanation of the gospel and then transition us into the life in the spirit, living out the gospel life, living out this life of freedom that he's gonna talk about. But I think it's fair to assume that he's going after what was being taught to the churches in Galatia. So we don't know that, but sometimes we think, what is he talking about? And if you ask yourself that question, is it possible he's addressing something they are very familiar with? A lot of times, the passage will begin to make a lot more sense. And so I think it's fair to assume that the false teachers have been continuously citing the first five books of Moses, drawing particular attention to the persons of Abraham and Moses, Abraham, the father of the Jews, Moses, the one who gave us the law, and also to circumcision, and they're using these things to make their point. And the Apostle Paul is basically using their own argument, but he is countering them, saying, well, you're really not thinking clearly enough, you're not reading closely enough, you've actually missed a lot of what is being said by just focusing on a verse here and a verse there, and a section here and a section there. And this is one of the reasons why in Calvary Chapel, we try to go through the entirety of the Bible, verse by verse, instead of just picking on maybe some things that you would want to hear about to make your life here on earth happy, and then when you get to heaven, you don't know what anybody else is talking about. Interestingly enough, most pastors today are basically using about seven books of the Bible. That's about it. You can teach what people want to know about with seven books of the Bible, and you can avoid a lot of the really difficult stuff by picking and choosing which verses in those books that you want to use. We don't do that at all here. The false teachers had missed that the life of faith is a supernatural working of God. That is such an important concept that we always say like, well, I have faith. Well, okay, if you have faith, it is a result of a supernatural working of God by the means and power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, for some false teachers, and their gospels vary, some false teachers preach a gospel of good works. You gotta be a good person. I always ask people when they say, oh, well, I'm saved by the good works I do, I always go, well, Lay me on a few, lay me on a few. And most of them have almost nothing to say, almost nothing. They're like, I gave money to the church last week. I'm like, well, how much? They're like, oh, four bucks. Wow, very generous. Wow, I'm sure heaven's like, oh my goodness. Nice Maserati. <laughs> so, and then, and other people say, well, it's about rituals. And as long as you do the rituals, you're fine. Others preach a gospel of a faith and works combination, which is no gospel at all, instead of our works coming out of our faith in Jesus Christ, our works coming out of our conversion by the Holy Spirit, by grace, through faith. 
So the Apostle Paul is going to wrap up this section in a very interesting way, and it's kind of hard for us to tell until we realize what he's saying kind of as we get to the end. First off, he's wrapping up this section as a theologian. He is going to go right at this one passage that they've talked about that may, or maybe they had ignored and involves Abraham, and he's going to show them where they are wrong. So he's going to use the word of God as proof that they are wrong. But he's also going to speak not only with a theologian's pen, let's say, he's going to speak with a pastor's heart because he has to say something that's very hard to say, and we know that it's in the Bible and it comes from the Lord, and it's something that sometimes a pastor has to do, and I always say it's awful. You just don't want to have to do it. And what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to tell these legalistic false teachers that they should leave the church. He's going to tell the Galatians that you really need to get rid of these guys because what they are doing is they are, as the Bible says, stains on the love feast. They're ruining everything, and they're taking a lot of people off track with them. And, of course, you hate to do that, but sometimes that is the work of the shepherd is to have some people leave. So he begins by asking an interesting question. He says, verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? What is he saying? You who desire to be under the law, do you really have any idea what it says? Because if you did know what it said, you would have no way you would want to be under it because you would realize that it's telling you that you can't do it. That's why you had to keep making all those sacrifices over and over again. And since that's the case, why would you desire to be under the law? Now, in Galatia, the false teachers, which are often known as the Judaizers, my favorite name for them is J.B. Phillips calls them the uninvited sham brothers, that great British humor. <laughs> and they're saying you must add the law of Moses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's Jesus plus the law, in particular, Jesus plus circumcision. One way, again, was to require people to be circumcised. Others would say that you have to celebrate certain days, certain feasts. And I would say it's all okay, but it's not the gospel. You can do a lot of different things, but they're not the gospel. For some... And this is where I think we have to be really, really careful here in our speaking with people. For some, it was rigid religion trying to impress God. That's just what it was, rigid religion trying to impress God. For others, I believe this with all of my heart, and if you could disagree, that's fine, but I believe for some people, they're trying to be good Christians. And in trying to be good Christians, because they were so poorly taught, and being brought off, they became enslaved to what they were doing instead of, as he's going to be talking about, being free in Jesus Christ. But before we judge them, let's understand a couple of the different reactions people have today to the concept of law. And we'll go back to the time of the Galatians. 
for most people today in the Bible-believing church in America, there's small, little, tiny churches that are left, and most of them are kind of dying out. But most that you see that seem to be having a lot of people coming, most people in the church in America, when they talk about the law, they go, it's just a bunch of rules. Just a bunch of rules. To me personally, to say that is being very disrespectful to the word of God. To lower God to the point of time where you're talking about what he said as a bunch of rules. God told his people how to live. And he told them that the soul that sins shall die. And if you fail to live the law perfectly, you will die. And therefore, you need to make a sacrifice. You take your hand, you put it on the animal, and then your sins are then, there's an element of faith transferred to the animal. The animal dies in your place for your sins, sheds his blood for your sins, a picture of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And so I think we should be very, very careful about disregarding the law in such a way and not realizing the wonder and grace of the law, which we talked about last night, that it's supposed to lead us to Christ. So there's the law. We realize our inability to live it. And then we go and we plead. We go to the foot of the cross. We plead the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. And then what does it make us want to do? Live for God more because we've experienced his love and we've experienced his grace. But to the Galatians... And let's just be gracious to them for a moment, all right? Yes, they had the Apostle Paul, and we said in a previous study, you can have the Apostle Paul, but it doesn't take you all that long to default to what you're doing for God. But to the Galatians, and if we want to be gracious, they were being taught, this is how you please God. This is how you do it. And there's still tons of that around today And I don't think that a lot of people even realize it because they are so poorly taught. So let's go for a walk on a warm weather Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills outreach. We have several outreaches planned. Let's pretend you're on an outreach with us and there we are. And so we're there and we meet some people and they desire to be under the law. Now, if you walked up to them and said, do you desire to be under the law? They're like, what are you, crazy? You know, call 911. Let's talk, meet the first guy, the first fellow. So you say, hey, you think you're going to heaven? And he goes, there's no such place. Now, those of you who are older, you remember that question used to work. If you were to die tonight, are you sure you would end up in heaven? Oh, the old evangelism explosion thing. Now you talk to a lot of people in their 20s and they go, I don't care. There's no such place. Well, that fellow happens to be living under his own self-righteous law. He desires to be under the law. So what do you say? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I ask him to explain it to me. Why don't you believe that? Well, what do you mean? Well, come on. Surely you've thought about these things. (laughs) Something as important as eternity. You would have thought about these things. Now, many of them haven't, but I give them a chance. And I said, come on, let me hear it. So I listen very carefully. I don't interrupt, and then I will just say this. Now, I consider us kind of friends. I don't know, I'm your friend. I consider you my friend. You might not consider me a friend, but we're developing a little bit of a friendship here. I listen to you. 
can you give me 60 seconds? 60 seconds. I discuss that with him and then I just shake his hand and I just usually have an invite card to our church in the back and I said, listen, dude, when the wheels of the bus of your life fall off, and they will, please come visit us and we won't judge you in any way. We'll help you put the bus back together. Have a nice day. That's it. Nothing really more than that. Next person comes along. So, when you die, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I'm going to heaven for sure. Really? Why? Well, I go to church. I was baptized. I made my first Holy Communion. And I did my confirmation. So then I'll say, so what's next? I'm done, bro. <laughs> like, they're like, I'm done. A lot of parents here even think that means they're done. So then it's like, you know, scoot out. You're 13 now or whatever the age is. I don't remember. I did it. All I remember was the slap in the face. And so, and then you, you walk out and just be a good person. So I'll say, so you're supposed to walk out and be a good person. And then I'll be like, are you a good person? Now, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know about that one. So, so we talk about that for a little while. Now, you say, oh, I just want, this, this is infuriates me, this kind of stuff. Easy killer. Let's be kind. This person may or may not reject the gospel, but they are. Why? They're rejecting it for the law. They think what they've previously done is good enough. You see, they're rejecting it because they didn't really know it, but they are rejecting the gospel. Many people don't know they're under the law. They don't know it. They think they are secure, or so they say. Many are hoping what they taught was true. They're like, well, that's what I was taught. And if my priest or rabbi or pastor was wrong, I'm sure God's gonna take it up with them. And I'm like, well, I'm sure he is. But that doesn't exempt you. I remember as a kid coming out of the confession booth and I would go in there and I would lie like a rug. And I would just go in there and I hadn't been in there for a year and I'd been like, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I was here. And then what, what sins did you commit? And I'd be like, um, I really don't remember any. Inside I'm thinking, I dropped an F-bomb, I'm perverted, I'm liar, I'm all these kinds of things. And then I'd be given this thing to do where I'd have to say a few prayers and then I would have to leave. I could remember as a kid, like seventh, eighth grade, wondering how in the world does me going, help me fill up gates, rattling off these prayers, trying to get out of this place, how could that really pay for my sins? It just doesn't seem right. If the sins are treated as so serious, how could the payment be so unserious? And I talked with people about it, and they assured me, that's what God wants. Just do it, be a good person, and God will be happy with you. And I remember being like, thinking to myself, this is as a kid, really? And I don't know about you, but there was definitely some insecurity there for me because it just didn't add up. All right, we're still on the street. Next guy. So, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you die? I'm definitely going to heaven, bro. Definitely. You know, I'm sanctified, man. I'm washed in the blood of the lamb. I'm like, oh, he's got the lingo. Tell me why you think you're going to heaven. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I serve in my church. I give. I help people when they're in need. Now, 
all of those are indicators that the Holy Spirit might live in them. Those are the things that you look for in people, that radical life change, where it's no longer all about me, but it's all about what I can do for God and serve God's people and love God's people. And when you talk to those people, some of them are very humble about it. Others are very proud about it. Some of them even tell you, I go to Bible study during the week, sit on a couch with my friends, and give my opinion about what the Bible means. Of course, I always say, well, it doesn't matter what your opinion what the Bible means, you know. And like, what do you mean? I go, it matters what God thinks it means. And why would they tell us all of those things? Because they still want to live under the law. Why? Because sadly, those people, their faith is about what they do for God, not what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Are they Christians? I don't know. But when it's all about them, they are certainly stuck or they are certainly moving backwards. They are not what Jesus called appearing to be born again. Most people, when you meet them on the outreaches, you ask them you know, about their faith and they will tell you what their church is doing. Oh, we sent 18 people to South America on a missions trip. That's great. That was not the question, though. Because they are associating with what they do or others they know are doing with the gospel. So the Apostle Paul is like, why would you want to be under that? You're not going to make it. Verse 22 and 23, he introduces a story to prove his point. One he assumes that they're very familiar with because there's not a lot of explanation here. I'm going to give some explanation, but he's assuming they are very, very familiar with this. Verse 22, for it is written that Abraham, now we've seen in previous studies that Abraham was the father of the Jews, no doubt one that these false teachers pointed to a lot. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, they had a slave, named Hagar, she had a son named Ishmael, that's Genesis 16. What happened? Abraham was 86 years old. His wife made an arrangement, go sleep with my maidservant and have a child. We'll talk about more of that in a second. And he says the other by a free woman. That's his wife, Sarah, their son, Isaac, who came later. So it kind of goes like this. God had visited them told them they're going to have a child. They waited. Didn't turn out like they wanted. Abraham had sex with her, made. They had a child. And then Genesis 17, God visits Abraham. He's 99. And he says, oh, you remember 24, 25 years ago, I promised you were going to have a son. He's coming next year. So what Paul wants to remind us is Abraham had two sons by two different mothers. Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. So the point he's making, keep this in the back of your mind, is that Abraham was seeking to accomplish God's promises in the flesh. And he's using the fact that it was with the slave woman that that produces bondage. And he, the son of the free woman, Sarah, through promise so that is the son of the promise. In verse 29, we'll see that it was through the Holy Spirit. 
So here the Apostle Paul is going to show the Galatians how the father of the Jews, remember we said that Abraham was before the law of Moses, a long time before the law of Moses, shows us how not to add law to the gospel. How not to add our own works to the gospel. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the Word of God is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you've heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions you may have, and let us know how Change by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible-teaching church in your area, Or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to contact Pastor Jim and the team here at Change by Love. All of our contact information is on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us by writing us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love. <laughs>